Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I want to talk about the topic that's consuming parents across the nation, Back to School 2020, Back to School in the Time of COVID. How are we managing our children's education this fall? Depending on where you are, your schools may be bringing your children back into their classrooms as a whole class or in a hybrid form or not at all. Schools are adjusting their plans with every new set of data and parents and teachers are scrambling to try to figure out how best to care for and teach the children. And the children are trying to adjust to new and not as good forms of learning as they return to school. So regardless of who you are in this situation, there is one thing you are for sure, and that is stress. So today's guest is the perfect person to help us sort through this, Dr. Victor G. Carrion. Dr. Carrion is the John Turner Professor and Vice Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University. He's also the director of the Stanford Early Life Stress and Pediatric Anxiety Program. His research is focused on the behavioral, academic, emotional, and biological effects of traumatic stress on children and he has a special emphasis on early childhood stress in kids of color. So Victor and I have been having a series of really interesting conversations about parenting over the last few months, and I'm so glad he could join me to continue the conversation today. So welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Victor. Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Carol. Oh, my pleasure. I've really been enjoying our conversations. So I'm going to start by just telling you what brought me to this, this topic. I tried to put myself back many years to when my three children were 10, seven, and three. So that's what, fourth grade, first grade, and preschool, and try to imagine what I would be doing now to try to get ready. And as I just, as I try to imagine, I just feel the stress. And, and so before we dive into the details, can I just ask you, generally speaking, how do you think parents should be approaching this, this in the fall? You know, uh, I I am really thinking about parents a lot lately because they are really on their own. They are getting very, very few data points. They're not getting a, a lot of guidelines. Whatever they are getting may be really changing every day. And these are critical decisions. So, so I empathize with how stressful uh, this moment is for parents. Mm -hmm. If we think of an inverted U-curve shape, mm -hmm. um, we really can operate with stress, right? If, if, in fact, we do need stress. If we don't care about that exam that we have tomorrow, we'll probably fail. Right? We, need, we need to be somewhat stressed mm -hmm. up to an optimal point, the top of that inverted U-curve shape. After that, we start seeing stress that is really detrimental to not only our health, but to our performance. It mm -hmm. starts having an impact on how we think and actually how we process those guidelines and those data points and how we make decisions. So I think most of us are already on that second half of the curve mm -hmm. and most parents are there as well. What is going to change? What is going to help parents come back to an optimal amount of, of stress that can help them with the decisions is is support is coping skills is self-care is 
decisions that are made on scientific evidence, one size doesn't fit all, right? Some school districts are going to have what they need to put protections in place and have appropriate protections. But we need more than protections, right? Mm -hmm. We need to develop programs that are going to help our kids optimize social interactions. And social interactions is the thing that I think about the most, being a mm -hmm. psychiatrist, mm -hmm. because the educational objectives, of course, are really important. But there's a lot of educational objectives that we can reach at home. We can actually have our physical distancing and still socialize, but we have to become very creative. And I love this idea of the pods that are being created, kind of expanding our nuclear family into bigger circles, right, where, where we can all support each other. Things like that can actually help us bring social interaction to these educational uh, objectives. But I, I think of parents also that have vulnerable children, parents that have children with emotional, learning, physical disabilities, you know, parents that have children from other vulnerable populations, uh, foster care, having English as a second language. So, so the experience is, is very unique for mm -hmm. each individual parent, but it's stressful for all of them. First, let's talk about pods, because um, I've read a lot about how well-resourced parents are creating pods where they're hiring teachers um, and gathering three to five children in, in, a, in an open air space. And that's great, but that doesn't work for everyone. Everyone is not going to be able to hire a teacher. But the concept of pods is important. And the, the, the basic concept being figuring out peers that your children can spend time with while they are in this remote learning situation. Is there a way to approach the pod concept if you don't have all the resources? What can parents do? Can perhaps they gather together and, and be their own resources? Well, we, we certainly care about fairness, right? And we care about equity of equipment, of services, of technology, of expertise, as, as you were mentioning, right, with, with the teachers. It's very understandable that you are taking care of your kids. Absolutely. Because that's, that's the job that we all have, right? Mm -hmm. We need to take care of our kids. I cannot put more pressure on parents to tell them, oh, and you also need to take care of the kids in our nation, right? <laughs> so, but, but you may feel compelled to do something about that. And if you do, you should. But there's no rationale to make your pod less efficient or less uh, effective than you're capable of making right. it. In fact, it could be a model, right? Mm -hmm that mm -hmm. can be disseminated. If something works really effectively, I'm almost telling parents, we have to conduct our own randomized control trials here. We have to do our own studies, regardless or pod or not pod, regardless of amount of resources. It's very critical to stay on top of what's happening to the community. Stay on top of what's happening to your county. And because there is a direct influence, obviously, into what's happening with the resources that you may bring into your household, be it in your school district or not, in terms mm -hmm. of staff and, and other things. So mm -hmm. we have to 
keep track of that data. And not only that, we also need to, to know how reliable that data is. We're living in a time where even the conversations of who's going to control the data and who's going to oversee the data have not been finalized. Uh, so yeah. we need to be informed, but we need to be skeptical at the same time. Right. And, let me, and while I'm talking about the need to be informed, uh, let me say, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, that it's important to be informed, but be careful with exposure. We need mm -hmm. to limit our exposure as well. Exposure Maybe, to information. Mm -hmm. Yes, they, uh, an exposure to information that is negative and traumatic and sad and depressing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, David, David Spiegel, who's a professor here at Stanford, a colleague of mine after 9-11, actually was studying the predictors of anxiety and depression at this event. And one of the best predictors, more than family history or prior history or anything like that, was the amount of time that you spend watching the news. And if oh. you spent and if you spend more than two hours, that put you in a significant risk. And I'm saying that because when we are there to help others, like parents are there to help their families and their children, mm -hmm. the first rule of thumb is take your own pulse, mm -hmm. right? You need to be healthy. You need to take care of yourself so that you can be available to have those conversations with your children so that you can help them play in whatever way they can. We should talk about play a little bit because it's so essential. And also so that you can help them manage their own anxieties, which is very normal for them to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to back up a little um, and 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 repeat sort of what I've heard you say because I think it's really important. Right now, parents need to do the best that they can for their children. And to your earlier point, the one benefit of having spent a lot of time with your children to date is that you know better how they learn. And if you can figure out a way to help them learn better then you should try to do it. And if it takes resources or if it's just gathering with your neighbors and making a pod where you all combine resources and books, to your point about not feeling guilty, we can't fix all of the ills of the educational system while we are trying to survive through a pandemic. <laughs> just we, yeah. a year ago, we would be talking about inequities in education. And a year from now, we will be as well. But we, we, we cannot, as important as that is, there are many, many things for us to worry about. So as a parent, worry about your family's mental health, your child's mental health, and, and your, your, what your child is doing. But, but, you know, that does, it raises the issue that I haven't seen as much as I would like to in this sort of critical crisis mode. You would think that the various schools, the, the public schools, the charter schools, the private schools would sort of just all contribute towards best practices because everyone is experiencing the difficulty in education right now similarly. Everyone is experiencing that their children can't come into the classroom as they normally would. And you would think that those who have figured out creative solutions would be putting them up on the big whiteboard somewhere so that everyone can learn from them. I don't see that happening. I always like to think about what works. I mean, my goal in this podcast is really to focus on what works. And, and that points to the other thing you were talking about in terms of the negativity. Ah, I'm, I'm, you know, hand wringing can only get you so far. And, and if you want to find things to wring your hands about, this is, there's lots of stuff in here that you can use. <laughs> but, but 
at the end of the day, um, we have to figure this out. We have to move forward. And so we just have to figure out the, the best ways. It's going to be the, the best, not so great way, <laughs> but we have to figure out the way. So, so the, the way that I, I, I like to address that is that I tell people I believe in the power of fellowship, especially when there's no leadership, right? So those, those that follow, those that, create, those that create, those that build, it is important for them to disseminate that knowledge to others. And now we have the technology that really allows a lot of people to do. So really, yes, I want to encourage everyone that has developed services, technology, use of equipment to create safe environments mm -hmm. to, to, to inform everybody else about this. Teachers care a lot about this. We, we need to share the lessons learned. The problem that we also have is that things are shifting so much. And the ping pong nature of, of this pandemic, of moving from state to state, doesn't let you know how it's going to be in your place mm -hmm. two weeks from now, you know, or right. three weeks from now. Mm -hmm. um, so, but we also have to remember historically that we've gone through this before and that there have been times uh, in different pandemics or in the, the flu uh, that we the students had to take classes outdoors, right? So mm -hmm. so there are other other approaches to to doing this, uh, but it is it is complicated. I I would suggest for everyone if I can give a resource here really quick, go to the website of the American Academy and Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, uh, aacap.org because the American Psychiatric Association and the American Association of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry have highlighted uh, eight points that are necessary in order for them to be in place before safe resumption uh, in school settings. And I think that's a resource that parents can use to bring to their district or, or bring to their legislator in terms of the things that are necessary. So that's aacap.org? Yes. Okay, great, great. So say I'm back to my three children back when they're 10, 7, and 4, and I work. And we're going into month six of this. So maybe it was fresh in March, but now after uh, try, struggling through the summer and my work is beginning to, uh, if I still have a job, which I, I'm, it's beginning to heat back up, how am I thinking about understanding that hybrid may be better for my children how am I going to be able to manage my job when my when things change so quickly and and um, the the data changes the the school plan changes how should parents be thinking about not just freaking out over this I mean what's the calm approach to trying to unravel this puzzle yeah first of all let me say you can freak out <laughs> just, just Try not to do it in front of your kids. Okay, everybody, you, know, you can freak uh, out. <laughs> you can freak out. We can all freak out because we, we are all freaking out, so we can, <laughs> obviously. But, 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 Carol, what you're alluding to is very important. Is, is, uh, the, the term that we use for it is allostatic load, which means the, the weight that we all carry that has an impact on our physiology and our well-being. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that with stress, there is a stressor associated mm -hmm. with it. The problem 
problem that we have and the problem that we have after six months is that it's not one stressor. It's not that, that our health is in a threat, right? Which is a significant enough stressor. Mm-hmm. But that now the stressors have started accumulating and now we're adding employment issues, school issues, unemployment issues, financial issues, parent, elderly parents issues, right? And, and this really has a significant impact on our health. So what I really want to encourage every parent to do, everybody here, self-care, yeah, I have to do self-care, okay, I'll do some mindfulness, whatever. But let's be very clear about what self-care entails. Make a list of it and see what you can do to make sure that the self-care is, is added to the things that you do. Because not only is it important that you do self-care, but that you encourage it to those that you live with mm-hmm. and that you also model it for your children. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, <laughs> just you telling a kid that they should do something doesn't mean they're going to do it. But if they see you doing, they will emulate you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is self-care? Self-care is sleeping well. So I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable time. And when possible, I'm going to try to get my seven, eight hours of sleep that I really need, not only because sleep is good, but sleep improves your immunological system. Right now, we, we all need to have a very strong immunological system. Mm-hmm. So sleep will help us with that. Mm-hmm. And it's also the, it's not only the number of hours, uh, it's not only the quantity, but it's the quality, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe if we have an extra three glasses of wine, that will put us to sleep really fast, but that sleep is not going to be good quality. It's going to be very light, and the restful, deep sleep is not going to happen. So we really, part of this is also not abusing alcohol, not abusing tobacco, not abusing other drugs, and eating well having a good diet, having a balanced diet, that will help uh, as well. And then exercise. Exercise is so important. And this whole thing of, oh, you only need it like three times a week, do it every day. Why not? We eat every day. Let's exercise every day, especially now that we're so stationary. We really need to exercise. And, And something that in my program we like a lot is yoga, because not only you are exercising physically, but you're exercising in mentally as well through the process of uh, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And let me add another resource here. These are partners of ours and we do work with them. Mm-hmm. They're called Pure Edge, P-U-R-E-E-D-G-E, pureedgeinc.org. Mm-hmm. And they, they have what they call brain breaks. And these are little exercises that the family can do together uh, in terms of mindfulness, in terms of mixing mindfulness and yoga. We've done research with yoga and mindfulness, and we see that it prevents the ill effects of stress and trauma. It improves emotion regulation. It improves executive function, which means our judgment and the attention that we pay to things. And it helps us make better decisions. So all of this, is part of uh, self-care. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm just going to repeat that because uh, I just pulled it up. Pure Edge Inc. P-U-R-E-E-D-G-E-I-N-C dot org. And it looks really good. Strategies for educators and learners to support social, emotional, and academic development. 
through mindful movement and rest. That sounds great. Thanks. So, you know, I can just, I can imagine parents all over saying, you know, I'm a working parent. Uh, yeah, that's self-care is interesting, but you know, that's not going to help me. We are so quick to dismiss this, but it's only through taking care of ourselves, putting that oxygen mask on ourselves first before we put it on our children, um, that will give us the clarity of thought to figure out how we're going to manage all these issues. We're going to need to be as clear-minded and as focused as we can. I have been um, encouraging friends who have colleagues in the same boat as they are in terms of working parents or, or they work um, on similar types of jobs to try to link up their schedules so that they can um, take turns watching over the children, watching over a small group of children virtually. Um, I, I think that working parents have to really be creative in terms of of how they're going to manage with their kids, find other parents in the same school district with the same schedule or maybe the opposite schedule. We just have to all band together and try to think as creatively as possible as to how to make this work. Um, I, I keep saying this is temporary only because I fear that watching the news as often as we are, watching all this terrible information about this pandemic, knowing that there's no vaccine on the immediate horizon, we're all just kind of spinning out into this, we are now in a new world order that's never going to change. I mean, I want to be realistic about this. This is, it is, it's, this is a serious pandemic, but I think you get stuck. So all this is to say that I think that all of your self-care advice is really, really valuable and 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 important for your that you, your point about modeling your kids can do all that stuff with you and and let me add to this carol that that one of the uh main lessons from cognitive behavioral therapy is what you just mentioned that negative thoughts attract other negative thoughts mm-hmm. and this vicious cycle occurs and it occurs automatically. We also call negative thoughts automatic thoughts because mm-hmm. the reality is that evolutionarily we got into where we are because we had negative thoughts, right? So we were thinking, oh, the lion is going to eat me and I have to run and I better get on top of this tree. <laughs> so those are the people that survive, right? The ones that were very, re- the ones that were very relaxed did not. So that became very entrenched in our brain, and it lives, these negative thoughts live in the reptile area of our brain, one of the oldest part of our brain. Mm-hmm. And, and so these thoughts come automatically. We just think automatically. Now, what's the best thing to fight a negative thought? A positive thought, <laughs> right? But guess what? Positive thoughts are not automatic. <laughs> positive Positive thoughts, whereas the other one was like hundreds of trillions of years or something like that. Positive thoughts have, have probably existed only for like 50 million years. Um, <laughs> as when our prefrontal cortex developed, then we developed this skill to start thinking more fluidly because there was less threat, right, ah. to our lives. Mm-hmm. So, so then uh, you can have positive thoughts. But positive thoughts are not automatic, which means we need to practice them. Now, the good thing is that the more you practice them, the better you get at it. So it's like if I gave you a guitar right now and I, you don't know how to play guitar, let's suppose, and, uh, and I tell you, play me a song. You, you just can't. 
right? But if every day until next year you're practicing that guitar, you will be able to play a song at mm -hmm. the end of the year. Mm -hmm. so, so the same thing with positive thoughts. It requires a conscious effort to think positively. First, you need to recognize this negative cycle of negative thoughts. And, and don't get overwhelmed by it. Say, oh, I'm doing what every human being does, right? This is what we do automatically. Mm -hmm. Now I need to recruit a positive thought. But let me go back to what you, you brought up, which is the parent that has to go to work because we still haven't fully embraced mm -hmm. their amount of stress because no matter how much self-care they're doing, no matter how many pots they have in place, <laughs> they still have they still have to go to court or they still have to go on the school bus or they still have to go to the supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. They have to do that. It's, it's very important for these individuals not to resent their job, not to resent their work or feeling like their job is getting in the way of what they need to do. Part of what they need to do is do their job, right? Because right. they like it, they work on it, that's what they've decided to do. And it is part of self-compassion. When we hear self-compassion, when we hear gratitude, that's really about respecting our bodies, respecting our minds, and valuing what we do. And there's a lot of value for the people that are out there having to leave their household to complete their work. Does it represent an extra challenge? You bet. Are they further down on that curve that I described, the inverted U curve shape of anxiety, you bet. But not necessarily, not necessarily. Because support, coping skills, self-care, and help, and, and help with capital letters, right? Not only help from their neighbor, but help from their state, and help, federal help, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. Can, can actually uh, help them come back to that optimum level of the curve. Mm. So support and help is, is really important. And, and back to the need for the clear mind, sleeping, eating right will help you think more clearly about where that support and help can come from. Is there a, a teen in the neighborhood that can read with your children or is there some a graduate student in the neighborhood who's who decided not to go back to school or they can't go back to school are there people in the neighborhood whose lives have temporarily changed that can help you with your kids i mean you really have to in in again trying to look at this positively it's an opportunity to think differently about the way that you go about things. And, and while it's very stressful, there are some opportunities to, to interact with your neighbors that where you normally wouldn't to, to spend, to have your children show some sort of resilience or more than you gave them credit for as they help you figure this out. I mean, depending on how old your children are, you can engage them in this process. I really like what you said about it's okay to freak out. Isn't it okay if your children are a little older to have them know that this you're dealing with these issues and you don't have all the answers? Definitely, definitely, mm -hmm. and and it, it it we need to approach it um, developmentally, right? Mm -hmm. Because different kids are going di to need different things. Let me start by saying that not only we should involve children, but we should learn from them. 
mm. because they they really are a creative bunch, right? <laughs> they they come up with things like flashlight tag, right? Like I had never heard about <laughs> that. And you know where they can still have fun, they can still play and maintain that physical distance. So um, you're talking about creativity, right? And 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 kids are really creative, and. One of the things that we have to be very watchful that doesn't happen is that we limit their play. Play is very important. Play is not only fun. Play is a key developmental milestone when we are growing up. This is how you grow socially, how you grow physically, uh, emotionally, in many, many different ways. So we need to uh, really promote that creativity and those older kids that are now engaging more uh, virtually, uh, there are other things they can do besides sitting in front of their laptop and just talking to a friend, right? They can have dances. They mm -hmm. can have exercise. I mean, what, you know, uh, there's no limitations to the things that they can do. Now, very young children tend to be very concrete, right? These are the kids that if you tell them, no, you cannot cross the street and play with your friend, and that's it, and you don't give any other information, they're going to think that there's a problem with them or there's a problem with their friend, right? Mm -hmm. So you really have to engage them in conversation. Uh, they also have a very limited vocabulary, so they have a hard time expressing how they feel. So involving them in art uh, is very helpful. Uh, older kids, uh, you know, getting involved in journals. It's good. Now, you're talking about the conversation, which is very key. It's like when you sit down with the kid, no matter how old they are, and you tell them what you know, mm -hmm. and you try to answer what they're asking. And by the way, you should only answer what they're asking. If you give more information, they're not going to listen to you anyway. So just answer what they're asking. But if there is, let them know that the conversation is open. Mm -hmm. Right. That is fluid, that they can come back to you with any questions. And there are going to be times that you don't know a lot of times. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of times when you don't know. And you can always say, I don't know, but I'm going to look it up and mm -hmm. see if I can find it. And then when you look it up, you have to go to to a source that that is has been vetted. Right. Some mm -hmm. a source mm -hmm. that is a good, a good source of information, like the ones we've discussed today, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you can also go to our website. We have a number of resources uh, in terms of exercises and things kids and families can do. Our website is uh, Early Life Stress and Resilience Program. So that's E-L-S-R-P dot Stanford.edu. And there's, you're going to see a lot of information there about many things, but at, at the bottom, there's resources and people can really use those as well. So that conversation is very important. Uh, it's also important because we should be watching on how kids are managing these stressors. And it, as like every parent knows, each kid is unique. They have their temperament, just because your neighbor dealt with it in an X way, that doesn't mean that you can do the same with mm -hmm. your kid. Mm -hmm. um, so it requires a developmental approach. And, and, and if I could very quickly uh, say that the way that preschoolers, school age, and adolescents manifest this situations uh, are different, right? Um, we have to pay attention to that. So preschoolers, uh, when too anxious, may return to behaviors 
that they had already mastered. For example, they may start sucking their thumb or wetting their beds. So if those things are happening, you know, we need to pay attention to that. School-age kids may start somatizing and have headaches and stomach aches that are unexplained otherwise medically. Mm -hmm. And then adolescents tend to get more isolated or more withdrawn. So when you're starting to trying to do that conversation, they may not want to really engage with you, which is why the conversation needs to be open. They need to know that whenever they're ready, you can then engage them in conversation. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you see any of those things and and you're alarmed and you're concerned, uh, you should contact your... and, and discuss it with them. I'm sorry, contact if, the pediatrician? Yeah, and, and discuss it with them and see if there's a need for specialized care or if it's something that they can handle and that mm-hmm. they can manage. Mm-hmm. You know, as parents are having these conversations, it's very tempting as a parent now to be angry or upset or frustrated with a lot of different people. Frustrated with teachers if the teachers are um, in some regions, teachers are expressing concern about going back. And if parents uh, feel like the teachers are blocking the, the, the uh, return to school, they'll be upset with them. In many instances, the school boards or the administration of schools aren't communicating well with parents and they're frustrated with that. And then governmentally, parents could be frustrated with what's going on there as well. I, I, while I think that parents should definitely express their frustrations, I think particularly younger children, again, and again, I'm practicing armchair psychiatry here. You tell me if this is right, but it just seems like if mommy and daddy are really just mad at everybody or they're frustrated with the teachers and they're talking to me about how teachers are not caring or whatever, I mean, that could have an impact that lasts beyond when, when I get to go back to school, particularly if I'm, I'm a younger kid. So I would think, and, and again, you tell me, but I would think as parents should, it's okay to have those frustrations, but maybe not share them with the younger children. Yeah, no, I I agree. And the problem is that the kids are getting it from every angle, right? right. It's not it's not only the schools, but all of a sudden they're understanding that there might be issues with the police, right? Mm-hmm. So do right, I right, right, trust right. authority in general? That there might be issues with the leadership of the nation. Do I trust right. those people? And so who are they going to trust, right? So, so that's one of the things a kid needs to know is that they're safe and that they are secure. In fact, children that are younger than seven may not even understand the concept of death. It's not the most threatening thing to them. The, what's threatening to them is the concept that their parents won't be there to protect them. So Mm -hmm. the message that they are safe, that they are secure, that we are competent on protecting them, that message needs to be transmitted. And I would say that message needs to be transmitted to every age, you know, that that (laughs) all all kids could actually hear that. Um, It is understandable for parents to be that angry, for parents to be that upset, and they need to process it and they need help with it but they shouldn't be expecting that their kids are going to help them process it. Right. Uh, they, they need to process it so that they can be available for their kids. And you mentioned resilience. There is this idea that children are resilient by, being, by virtue of being young, by being children. And there's really nothing in the scientific literature that says so. Children are not more resilient. Ch- children are more vulnerable. That's why we take care of them. 
they have the capability of developing resilience. And it's our responsibility to give them opportunities to develop resiliency and, and resilience and adaptation. Sometimes we don't bounce back exactly to where we were, which is what resilience is. But adaptation means, well, you may bounce back to even a better, <laughs> a better place. And hopefully that's the resilience that we're going to see in America develop, that after this experience, we may be more mature than we've been in the past. Mm, well, I need to end on that very positive note. Maybe we will all be more mature <laughs> after the end of this pandemic. Let's hope for that. Dr. Carrion, I just want to thank you for all your insights and for all of the really good resources that you've given in this in this podcast. Um, so I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. And if you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review where you find your podcast and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You'll also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>